This is a Reconstruction Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash free books to download this book in PDF form. The Greatness of the Great Commission, Christian Enterprise in a Fallen World, written by Kenneth L. Gentry, Jr., published in 1990 by the Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas, narrated by Joseph Spurgeon. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Matthew 6, 9-10 I now have completed a fairly thorough analysis of the Great Commission. Hopefully, I have provided solid, Bible-based answers to our three opening questions. What is the Great Commission? What is the goal of the Great Commission? What is the nature of the Great Commission? I trust that the answers provided will be hope-inducing, vision-expanding, and labor-encouraging. It seems to me that the change that is most needed today in Christian circles in order to recover the greatness of the Great Commission is a major shift in practical applied Christianity. The contemporary church is afflicted by three corrosive agents. One, rampant, smiley-faced superficiality, so characteristic of mega-ministries and much of Christian publishing and broadcasting, which largely is resultant from inattention to the Great Commission. 2. Decades-old cultural retreatism, which largely has been engendered by a misconception of the Great Commission. 3. The time-perspective problem, which largely involves a denial of the Great Commission time-perspective. Regarding the matter of superficiality, John A. Sproul laments, quote, The tragedy today is the apparent disinterest in the preaching of doctrine in the church. Caught up in the craze for Christian entertainment and psychology, the church is worse off for it. Quote. Regarding the accelerating changes in this direction inside American evangelical churches, Dave Wells warns that the impetus to change is coming from without rather than from within, and this impetus is primarily sociological, not theological. Too much in the popular church growth mentality reduces the role of sound biblical preaching and teaching in deference to crowd-pleasing antics to draw the play-oriented masses into churches. These masses must then continually be entertained by throwing Christian theology to the lions. Of last century's influential evangelist, Dwight L. Moody, Weisberger writes, he completed the reduction of evangelism to a matter of technique and personality. North's comments are appropriate. Quote, is it any wonder that the doctrine of eternal damnation is de-emphasized in preaching today? Is it any wonder that God is spoken of mostly as a God of love, and seldom as the God of indescribable eternal wrath? D.L. Moody, the turn-of-the-century American evangelist, set the pattern by refusing to preach about hell. He made the preposterous statement that terror never brought a man in yet. That a major evangelist would make such a theologically unsupported statement, and expect anyone to take him seriously, testifies to the theologically debased state of modern evangelicalism. It has gotten no better since he said it. End quote. If there is no sound doctrinal base to the Christian life, there can be no proper starting point for a holistic Christian faith. Regarding the matter of retreatism, Francis A. Schaeffer has written, The basic problem of the Christians in this country in the last 80 years or so, in regard to society and in regard to government, they have seen things in bits and pieces instead of totals. Why have the Christians been slow to understand? Is it traceable to a deficient platonic spirituality, 
It is Platonic in the sense that pietism made a sharp division between the spiritual and the material world, giving little or no importance to the material world. Christianity and spirituality were shut up to a small, isolated part of life. Having isolated life into neat compartments, and having exalted the spiritual over the material, the church has given up on the world and retreated into its own four walls. The very fact that churches often sponsor retreats inadvertently demonstrates the acceptability of this mentality. When there is a tendency to, re to retreatism, there is no proper practice of a holistic Christian faith. There is dangerous atrophy in the body of Christ, the church, due to chronic retreatism and the more recent onset of acute superficiality. And the recovery of the true strength of the family, the church, and the state will take both effort and time. Fortunately, the Great Commission, when properly understood, provides us with the strength needed for the effort. I am with you, promises the one with all authority, and the time necessary to the task, even to the end of the age. Few things have been more destructive to the implementation of a well-rounded, biblically-grounded Christian worldview than one's time perspective. A classic, though inadvertent, illustration of this is available in an interview with evangelist Billy Graham a few years back. Question. If you had to live your life over again, what would you do differently? Answer. One of my great regrets is that I have not studied enough. I wish I had studied more and preached less. Donald Barnhouse said that if he knew the Lord was coming in three years, he would spend two of them studying and one preaching. I'm trying to make it up. A similar problem is admitted by Tim LaHaye. Many Christians are committed to the approaching end of the age with all of its horror according to their dispensational view. Most knowledgeable Christians are looking for the second coming of Christ and the tribulation period that he predicted would come before the end of the age because present world conditions are so similar to those of Bible prophecies for the last days. They conclude that a takeover of our culture by the forces of evil was inevitable, so they do nothing to resist it. Much of the modern spread of this foreshortened time perspective is traceable to the Brethren movement in the 1830s. W. Blair Neatby gives an interesting analysis of the Brethren devotion to such. Brethrenism is the child of the study of unfulfilled prophecy and of the expectation of the immediate return of the Savior. If anyone had told the first Brethren that three-quarters of a century might elapse and the church still be on earth, the answer would have been a smile, partly of pity, partly of disapproval, wholly of incredulity. Yet so it has proved. It is impossible not to respect hopes so congenial to ardent devotion. Yet it is clear now that brethrenism took shape under the influence of a delusion, and that delusion left its traces, more or less deeply, on the most distinctive features of the system. Billy Graham, Tim LaHaye, and millions of other Christians hold to the any-moment view of the coming of Christ, which shortens their historical perspective. Some have carried this view to logical but embarrassing extremes. We see the clearest example in Edgar C. Wisenant's 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988, and Hal Lindsey's The 1980s Countdown to Armageddon. Soon to join them is Richard Rowling, M.D., with his new book, Sword Over America, that is said to point to the early 1990s at the time for the Battle of Armageddon. It is sad to say, but these men are following in a long train of failed prophets. This any-moment viewpoint kept Graham diligently working, even if not carefully preparing for the long haul. This has kept too many other Christians sitting back, away from the fray, except for a few notable areas of exception, such as anti-pornography and pro-life advocacy, while expecting the end. But a long, developmental, hope-filled view of history is fundamental to any serious Bible-based approach to the whole of life. If there is a tendency to promote a blocked future, there will be no promotion of a holistic Christian faith. A proper understanding of the Great Commission will be essential for the Church to collect itself in preparation for the 1990s and the challenges of the looming new century. Even though we are hearing many reports of the staggering growth of the Church in previously non-Christian parts of the world, and that in all of Asia and most of Africa, unprecedented numbers are coming to Christ, for which we are thankful, 
We must not become lax in our promotion of sound doctrine and practice. A recent report shows that such popular evangelical theologians as J. N. D. Anderson, Clark Pinnock, and Charles Kraft allow that if any unevangelized person repents and desires God's mercy, he will be saved by the work of Christ, even though ignorant of that work. It is noted further that such noteworthy evangelicals as J. I. Packer and Roger Nicole allow some possibility for the salvation of the unevangelized, while Donard Bloke affirms the possibility of conversion after death. Christians must begin applying the Great Commission, indeed, all of Scripture, to the fundamental institutions of social order, the family, the church, and the state. This will be especially incumbent upon American Christians, who are now not only facing a secular humanist government on one hand, but also an increasingly non-Christian society on the other. There are now more Muslims than Methodists in the U.S. In fact, there has been a 300% increase in the Muslim population in just 10 years. Regarding the family, we must remember that if we train up a child in the way he should go, then even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6 Regarding the church, we must recall that it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. 1 Peter 4.17 Regarding the state, we must recognize that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7.14 In all of this, we must bow before Him, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. We do so by obeying His commands to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In so doing, we may always rejoice in the confident hope, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And as we engage this task, we may confidently declare, Amen. For this is the greatness of the Great Commission. listening to The Greatness of the Great Commission by Dr. Kenneth L. Gentry, Jr. This audio version has been produced by Reconstructionist Radio and narrated by Joseph Spurgeon. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash freebooks to download the PDF of this book. If you enjoyed listening to this book, you can go to www.ReconstructionistRadio.com where you will find other similar audio books. Calvinist, Covenantal, Presuppositional, Postmillennial, and Theonomic, Reconstructionist Radio. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows 
or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.